Good morning, everyone. Uh, sure, that was that was a that was a quick getting up here, and um, I thought I'd have a little more time just to, you know, get ready for things. And and, and it's been a while. No, normally, you kind of have worship first, uh, and then you kind of ease into it. And so this this feels good, um, and I'm ready, and I hope you are ready this morning. Um, let me let me pray for us uh, before we get going. Just as, as the last few people find their seats. God, good to, to be together this morning. Uh, thank you for this beautiful morning. Uh, yeah, God, we live in a beautiful place. And uh, just so grateful for it this morning. Uh, grateful that we can gather as a community together uh, to, to hear your word, to worship together, uh, to be together. And so I just pray that you're with us uh, as we do that um, and as we, as we go through today. And we commit this to you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good, good. Yeah, so as Shay said, thank you. Uh, my name is Mike Massingham. I serve on the leadership team here. Uh, great to be here. I think like, a couple of firsts uh, for me uh, this morning. This is the, the first sermon for me uh, in, in this building. It's my first sermon on Zoom. So hello, everyone. At least there are some people here as well as, as Zoom, so that's good. Uh, first sermon this year, uh, or actually last year as well. But listen, Luke said 2020 doesn't count, um, so we're okay on that front. And uh, yeah, also interesting look, looking at, at, at people with, with, with masks on as well. So we'll see how today goes. Um, but we're, we're back in Mark today and, and quite excited about that. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic fast-paced book. Uh, it's one of, one of four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that completely focus on, on the life of Jesus. So they're all slightly different in the way that they... Uh, are written, but the mega themes are the same throughout all of them. So I want to start again today just with setting the context for Mark, looking at the chapter we're in, and then we'll go a little bit more focused um, onto our specific scripture for today um, and and pack it with us. So, So right out of the starting blocks in Mark, Christ starts with this good news, I'm here. And he, he's, he's, he's the first sort of superhero in this big story. I don't know if you noticed like some of the hero movies that we all um, have loved up growing over the years. Um, think about Avengers, Batman, Justice League, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Thor Ragnarok, etc. They all copy the basic storyline of only what Jesus has actually done. He came to earth with this mission to defeat the enemy and save all of humanity. So as humans, we, we just love that story, and we've recreated it over and over again in books and in stories and in poetry. But it's actually only really happened once. In history, it's his story, capital H-I-S, his story. And we're a living, breathing part of that today. So Mark records Jesus accepting this mission, and then he's calling his disciples as well. It, it's like kind of this, he's narrating this docudrama style um, journey through their miracles, the storms, the swell of conflict that eventually leads um, to Jesus' crucifixion, the miracle of his resurrection, and then this astonishing handover of this mission to these young disciples. They certainly don't always get it right, but that mission has been passed down from generation to generation to generation and now rests in our hands. And I hope you feel the weight of that today, the honor of that. It's because of this, Jesus' 
mission was to teach and prepare his disciples to take over the reins from him. And it's in that lane that we find our scripture today. If you're not a Christ follower yet, can I say that you are very welcome here today. Uh, there are things in the sermon that I hope you will find uh, very helpful. And just to say you are not in the hot seat today. Um, but just to warn the rest of you, there may be some sweating to come, uh, myself included. Um, and as Luke always says, I hope you took your vitamins uh, this morning. But as we travel with Jesus through, the, through his years of ministry, and we hear this consistent call, follow me, follow me, follow me. It's this call that comes with, with this imperative to repent and believe. I think you've heard that. It's not really words that we use nowadays a lot, um, but they're all over the Gospels. And if we, if we examine them, we find we're actually looking um, at two sides of, of the same coin here. The word repent, metanoia, which, which we take to mean a turning away from sinful ways, which usually focuses on the feeling of sorrow. But in the New Testament, it's a much more weightier word. The word implies a fundamental root-level change in both thought and behavior. In other words, repentance is not just feeling really sorry for wrongful actions or thoughts. It requires an active engagement. So when Jesus announces this kingdom of God and calls for repentance, he's saying, give up your ways of thinking and acting. Take a right turn and come with me. That's what these disciples did. If we look at believe, the other side of the coin, Jesus calls us to believe in this radical free gift of salvation because of the cross. God sent Jesus to die for our sins and forgive us and restore us to God and guarantee our eternity with him once we die. Now, this is 100% true. It's not the whole picture. Yes, we're restored to God through Jesus' death and resurrection. And yes, having been restored, so that means our sins are forgiven, God guarantees our eternity. Yes, yes, amen, these are good things. But there's another whole dimension to this reality, which we sometimes neglect, but that's abundantly clear in the New Testament. Throughout the New Testament, the idea of restoration carries with it this concrete manifestation of God's kingdom. So in other words, the good news of the kingdom of God must have legs. And in Mark's gospel, Jesus makes it crystal clear it's only those who do the will of God who can be considered the family of Jesus. We see that in chapter 3, verse 35. So the gospel does mean salvation and restored relationship, but it also means since we've been saved and restored, we now carry responsibility to be part of Jesus' family. That is to bear family resemblance of our thoughts and actions, which is the heart behind repent and believe. He doesn't call his followers to become members of a group that believe that, that because they've responded to him, they'll get to go to heaven when they die. And while they wait, they'll, they'll gather once a week to sing songs and listen to sermons that affirm that they are loved and going to heaven. No, Jesus calls his disciples to share in his kingdom work. It's, it's here and it's now. And it's this kind of getting your hands dirty kind of responsiveness to it. In other words, following Jesus has tangible implications in our life. That's clear so far. We've got this follow, repent, believe. But now we're going to zoom into a specific, intensive training session, conversation that Jesus is having with his group of disciples. It's within the lane of the repent mega theme that we, we find today's scripture. Will you remember that lens as we look at the scripture for today? And as you read it, I want you to remember that Jesus is in teaching mode here, that he's talking to a small group of disciples. It's, this is important. 
It's not to a wide crowd of new believers or to people who are not yet followers. This is a family moment where he's up-leveling his core team. Okay, deep breath. Let's have a look at today's scripture. You're going to follow with me on the screen if you'd like to, um, or you can turn to Mark um, 9, and it's verses 42 uh, to 50, and I'll read it with us. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. Uh, The Hebrew word here actually is Gehenna, and I'm going to come back and talk about that a bit later. To the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Yo. First, it feels a whole lot like this fire and brimstone. And I can, I can hear you saying, you didn't even get up early and cook us pork belly like Luke did last week. Here's your scripture for today, Mark. Um, but actually, what we have here is Jesus expressing how seriously we need to take our discipleship. We see that he's asking us to have a ruthless whole He's asking us to match his commitment to our discipleship. That's our big idea for today. We need to match God's ruthless, wholehearted commitment to our restoration. We need to match God's wholehearted, ruthless, wholehearted commitment to our restoration. He's radically committed to seeing us become the best and the truest version of ourselves, and he's actively working to mold us and to shape us. I want to ask you, how committed are you to your restoration. Luke preached from Psalm 63 last week, and this verse really stuck out to me with this picture, I seek God in humble surrender. Are you pliable in his hand, allowing him to refine you as as he sees fit? He made us. Who who better to guide us on this journey of of restoration um, than God himself? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down these scriptures into four sections or, or points today um, as, as we unpack this. So let's look at point number one. Whoever causes one of these, this is verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is a sobering opening line here. We see that God doesn't only notice the good that we do in our lives, but he notices the, the bad too. All of it gets, gets judged. It's not something that we think about often, is it? The scripture says here, there are no uncertain terms that if anyone who harms or hurts or causes little ones to sin will not get away with it. Little ones here could be referring to children back in verse 37 or new followers of Christ. He takes very seriously for those who prey on the weak and the hurt and the vulnerable. Personally, I found this very encouraging that anyone who preys on little children will not get away with it. We could also take this one step further and say that it could represent an example um, of anyone in our lives, our families, our colleagues, our friends. 
It's anything that you do that causes people to sin or turn away from God. Any actions that confuse or distract them. When you have a quiet moment later, take a little audit. Maybe something's popped into your head now. Through that line again, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Those are some pretty serious consequences and that the millstone actually was the, was the better kind of consequence here. Guys, God is radically serious about this. We don't like to think of God with his, with his, with his judgment hat on, do we? It's much more comfortable to think of his, his kindness and his grace. But let me ask you this. For those of you who are parents, is there a role for correction and discipline in your relationship with your kids? Yes. Does not mean that you don't love them? No, it's, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. It shows how much you love them. I don't know if your kids have ever flung out this line, why do you always pick on me? Ours have. I mean, even last night I had that line. And, and the answers, our answer is always the same. It's because I love you too much to let you carry on with this damaging behavior. And can you accept that our Father God has the same role in our lives, no matter how old we get? Jesus is serious about sin because it robs us of what he wants to do for him, and it robs us of who we are becoming. Okay, point two. This is verses 43 to 48. Uh, just a quick aside here in case you're, you're OCD and you're wondering where verses 44 and 46 are uh, in this list. They weren't thrown into the fire. Um, no, there's, there's actually a, a textual corruption here. So those verses are omitted um, in accurate translations. Uh, the repeated phrase in verse 48 um, was put in by scribes in, in verses 44 and 46. So it's just repeated there. Um, just so you know where they are. We're not just jumping numbers here. Um, so from verse 43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled with two hands than go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yikes. Friends, I mentioned before that following Jesus comes with this imperative, repent and believe. Part of following Jesus is taking a microscopic look at your life, identifying sin, repenting, and then resisting it in a dramatic way. That's our part in discipleship, and it's, it, it's anything but passive. I'm going to tell you a story here um, to illustrate this point. So last year, um, Meg's dad, Meg's my wife here, um, her dad discovered that he had a rare form of cancer in the tissue uh, in his back. He had, he had surgery to have it removed the very next day. So even though the lump was only a couple of centimeters, they cut out a couple of kgs of tissue out his back. Um, they, made it, they made this mold for his body and then this custom lead plate that goes on his back that had a little, a little hole in it. So this was used for his radiation treatments. The mold was to position him in the exact same way every single day, and the plate was to direct the laser to the exact right point. He also changed his diet to give his body the best fighting chance to fight back, and he actually took up uh, daily archery lessons. He made his own bow and took up archery lessons to strengthen um, the muscles in his back. So my point is they didn't just see the cancer and, and go, oh, we don't really like this and, and hope for the best. No, they radically aggressively attacked it from multiple angles. 
was the enemy a threat, and, and they threw everything they could at it to, to fight it. Sin's, friends, sin is, is out to destroy us, at the very least to deflect us from what Jesus uh, wants to do in our lives. And we can't really afford to be passive about this. Let's throw everything that we've got at it. Let's make our choices from an eternal perspective. Remember, repentance is this fundamental root-level change in both thought and behavior. A pastor from my youth always uses the example of sin as being like a pet lion, if you would. Uh, You may have heard this, uh, but when it first arrives, you've had this cute, harmless, little, fluffy little thing. But as you let it into your life, you feed it, you live with it, daily this thing grows until one day it becomes much more powerful than you. And suddenly you aren't able to control it, and it doesn't quite seem like a good idea to have a pet lion in your house anymore, in your life. So think about your life. Do you have any lions in there? Are they cute and fluffy right now? Or are they big and unmanageable right now? Paul gives us some advice here in Colossians 3, verses 5 to 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Are you dabbling in white little lies? Or outright deceptions, porn or idolatry? What about coveting or stealing? Are you prone to racism or supremacy? Are you addicted to or ruled by alcohol, sex, money, food? What about how you treat others? Are you hiding hate in your heart, maybe unforgiveness? These things separate you from the full blessing of God in your life and from the fullness of who you could be. I don't know, maybe as, as, you, as I'm speaking today, you're feeling a bit despondent. Maybe you've tried to kick it and it just actually feels too strong for you. Can I ask you to speak to someone? Power of sin is in its secrecy. Bring it into the light and somehow it starts to lose its grip on you. I'd love to point you to one of the resources that we have in our church here. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's a course that we run here that focuses on people uh, wanting freedom from their hurts, their hang-ups, and their habits. Mac and Adine Oerstes and part of our community uh, head that up and run it. And there's there's some resources out in the the foyer there as well. You're welcome to, to have a look at those as well. Bring it out into the light. Okay. If you're with me, point three. Hell, Gehenna, unquenchable fire. It's getting hot in here. Okay, let's talk about these references to hell and the unquenchable fire. The the Hebrew word here that Jesus uses is Gehenna. It's actually been translated uh, into hell. Gehenna was an actual valley in southern Jerusalem where the rubbish and the dead carcasses were taken to be burnt. It's this place that's an ongoing fire. It's a hot, horrible, dirty, smelly, dangerous place full of maggots and parasites. It's where the ancient pagan kings would sacrifice their children and a place that people of the day really believe was like a hell. I hope you get it. It's a truly awful place. And so this is a reference that the disciples would have been well acquainted with. Remember here that Jesus is talking to his disciples and not unbelievers. And so we know that when he's saying thrown into hell and the unquenchable fire, he's not referring to initial salvation, but he's referring to judgment day and judgment fire. 
Don't lose me here. I know these words, judgment, unquenchable fire, and hell are very fire and brimstone and not very 2021 at all. <laughs> Paul, let, me, let me give you another verse. Paul describes it in a slightly different context um, in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. I'm going to read from the amplified, amplified version. You can follow up here as well. According to the remarkable grace of God, which was given to me to prepare me for my task, like a skillful master builder, I laid a foundation, and now another is building on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. But if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be clearly shown for what it is, for the day of judgment will disclose it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality and character and worth of each person's work. If any person's work which he has built on this foundation, that is, any outcome of his effort, remains and survives the test, he will receive a reward. But if any person's work is burned up by the test, he will suffer the loss of his reward, yet he himself will be saved, but only as one who has barely escaped through fire." So whether you remain allergic to this old-fashioned uh, turn of phrase or not, the fact remains is that we will all stand before the Lord one day and account for our actions. He will reward us as, as he sees fit. It's a very real thing, and every, every, every one of us will be in the, in the hot seat. I love this quote that really brings home the point. There it comes. It's a beautiful quote. What we do in life. Echoes in eternity. Gladiator, anyone? Yes? I've always wanted to say that in the sermon, and I'm stoked that I got it in today. Uh, but we would do it well to live out our lives with that phrase in mind and with an eternal perspective. Jesus is reminding the disciples, I am the king. I am the eternal king, and a king gets to judge. Not temporarily, but eternally. It's not a king who says, oh, anything goes or, or turns a blind eye. No, he's a king who cares about sin. Jesus makes us clear in these verses his judgment has eternal consequences. Jesus is serious about putting this world to right and he's starting with his followers. He's not just serious about getting us into heaven, but he's serious about getting heaven into us so we can be part of bringing heaven to earth. Before we leave this point, I'd love to spotlight another angle, and that's our experience of the kingdom here on earth. Enter the kingdom here means experience the blessings of God's kingly power working in our lives. It's more than just initial salvation. It's available to us here and now. Yes, we will experience the fullness of God's kingdom when we get to heaven, but there's so many rich, beautiful blessings here on earth. Enter the kingdom means experience the blessings of God's kingly power working in our lives here today. The hand and the foot and, and, and the eye stand for things that in our lives that are very precious to us, but they're doing damage to our experience of the kingdom. Our sin robs us here on earth as well as through eternity. Okay, point four. This is salt. This is the last one. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? 
have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So part of the reason for this like radical discipleship is that we get to serve effectively in the kingdom. It's the why of our restoration. Christ's mandate has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, and we hold that baton now. We need to carry this family responsibility into the world. Jesus is here reminding his disciples, hey, you should make a difference in the flavor of the world that you're living in. You have, just as salt changes food's flavor, you have a responsibility to carry my flavor into the world. We need to counteract the moral decay in society, just as salt preserves food from decay. To be effective, salt needs to, needs to touch the food that, it's, uh, that needs it. So as Christians, we can't just withdraw from the world, but we need to engage with it wisely. When we lose the desire to salt the earth with the love and the message of God, we become ineffective for him and we drop that baton. Okay, let me cool this down a little bit. I don't know if anyone else is feeling a bit like, whoa, and yikes, and that was straight out the blocks. And that's how it is this morning. But this is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is not a comfortable view of him. Our temptation, we want you to just chuck this bit out. But guys, this is the holiness of God. These are Jesus' words to us. We can't afford to curate an idea of him that serves our purposes. But we really need to discover who he truly is. Can I ask the band to come up, please, as we respond to this? As we follow Jesus, we, we encounter his passion for, for holiness and righteousness and, and greatness. And as we get closer to him, we realize that we're, we're nothing like him. And so we, we desperately need a king, but not just any king, a king with a cross. We need to be forgiven, and if his judgments last forever, we need a powerful grace that leads to powerful transformation. He is that for us. It's only by his grace that we get to fight sin in our lives. It's only only because we can surrender to him. He is with us every step of the way. Won't you open your hearts to him? Won't you allow him to change you? Won't you give up that which feels like so precious, it's like a limb. Only he can bring healing to your heart. There's no sin too deep or no lion too big that has not already been defeated by the cross. This was his ultimate work for us, his mandate to restore us to himself. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Can I ask you just to stand this morning as I, as I pray for us and lead us into worship? Oh, this morning, you know, these are, these are Jesus, these are your words, and they're, and they're, they're big ones, and they, and they cut. And oh, this morning, as we examine our hearts, as we, as we let that soak in, God, thank you that you are ruthlessly, wholeheartedly committed to us, to our restoration. And this morning, we want to we do that repenting, we want to do that believing, we want to turn away from that and turn to you. And we want to start out by just acknowledging our need for you.
Lord, we need you. We need you. We don't have to do this alone. This is the amazing thing about this. God, is that you are with us and that you want to be with us and, and, and you just, you're ruthless about this. Thank you. You've never give up on us. I thank you that there is no sin too deep, no lion too big that wasn't defeated by the cross. What a place to live in. So this morning as we just open our hearts, I pray we would do that. Open our hearts to you, to what you're saying to us. Thank you. We can lay it all down at the foot of the cross this morning.